a couple of weeks from now, Lord willing, you can continue to pray that God would either wipe out the snow or provide us an opportunity, another opportunity to engage and serve and love our city. Well, as they're sliding out, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we've got some Bibles provided in the chairs around you there. And in the Bibles we provide, it's page 977, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today. Well, Boston has a number of nicknames that it has collected over the years, many due to the historical context in Boston. As I even share this, you're probably some are, are coming to mind. Maybe City on a Hill, maybe The Hub, maybe the Athens of America. You've probably heard that one before. The Cradle of Liberty. What else is coming to mind? Beantown, what's that? Trophy Town, the City of Champions, come on, yeah? Title Town. But it's also been called America's Walking City. In fact, if you were to do a search for the, the number one city in the U.S. with the highest percentage of pedestrian commuters, that city would be Cambridge. 25.76% of the people in Cambridge. So obviously you've got the colleges and universities there which are going to influence that number there. But whether you're thinking of your walk to work, some of you will walk to take the T or to take a bus to the T, or whether your walk to school, or maybe you think of America as Boston, America's walking city, you think of the Freedom Trail. The trail that starts at Boston Common and ends in Charlestown at the USS Constitution. Whatever you think of when you think of walking, walking is, an, is a metaphor and an imagery that we can all relate to. You walked at some point to get to church today. Now, oftentimes we don't consciously think about every step that we are taking but it's something we can all relate to. Paul uses this imagery when we come to Ephesians 4, and he's going to describe the Christian life using walking terminology. And this is a metaphor that he uses that's still live. And I think the reason that he uses it is because for centuries to come, we're all going to be able to understand and relate when he's going to tell us to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want you to think about your walking for a second. Do you ever find yourself just walking aimlessly with no purpose? Now, some of you may did some sleepwalking last night, and you maybe were not aware of it. Oftentimes we walk and we're not consciously aware of our walking, but for the most part, our walking has purpose in it, right? We have a goal. We have a destination in mind, your goal of walking to lead you to worship today. There is goal, there is purpose, there's direction, there's intentionality. And so should it be in the Christian life. And so I want to read Ephesians for us. And then we're going to look at this imagery of the Christian life as a walk. Let's listen as God speaks to us through 
his word. Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's read it one more time. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When we come to this point in Ephesians, we've come to a strategic point in this whole letter where Paul is going to make a drastic shift from what he has been declaring true of us in Christ to now what we should do and live and walk in response to that. He's moving from doctrine to duty, from theology to ethics, from what you may say is the indicative, what is true, to the imperative, what is commanded of you to obey. In fact, if we were to just look at at the commands in, in, in the letter to Ephesians, there is only one explicit command in the first three chapters. It's found in 2.11. Now, there are many implicit commands, like Paul saying, for by grace you are saved through faith. What's implied there? Well, salvation is found through belief, but he doesn't tell you to believe. That's, that's an implied command. But what we're going to see in the last part of Ephesians are 40 explicit commands that Paul is going to challenge us to do. But you've got to get this. Too often in the Christian life, we just want to know, hey, God, what do you, what do you demand of me? What am I supposed to do? Too often when reading the word, we're just asking, man, how am I supposed to obey? Is there something that I need to, I need to change and, and take and do today? And, and we should be looking at obedience, but we cannot divorce our obedience from doctrine. For it is what God has accomplished for us that makes it possible for us to live for him. And so if, if, if we divorce the gospel and application, we end up with a powerless and empty moralism. And that's not what we're after. We're not just, we're not just after a list of things to do. We're after a life that is overflowing in worship and that is empowered by the gospel. Religion says, obey, and therefore you're accepted. But the gospel is different. The gospel says you're accepted, therefore obey. And so this word therefore in Ephesians 4, when look at the text, I therefore, Paul is unpacking these first three chapters and, and he's saying in view of everything that I have just shared with you, therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. And so the first challenge that I want you to get today from the text is pretty clear, is that you should walk worthy of your calling. And there are a couple reasons I want to give you here. The first one is this. Your calling makes it possible for you to walk worthy. This calling language, Paul is referencing your conversion. When you heard and responded to the gospel, God calls us. And we hear the call of the gospel and we respond by repentance and we respond in faith. 
And when that happens, God, we saw this in Ephesians 1, 13, you, when you heard the hope of the gospel and you believe, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We saw in Ephesians chapter two that it is through faith that you who were now, who once were dead in your sins have now been made alive together with Christ. And we even see this walk analogy. Go back to Ephesians 2, 2. This is where we first hear Paul starting to use this idea of walk. And he says in Ephesians 2, 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Or what does he mean by walk? In which you once lived. In which you once conducted your life, yourself. You used to walk in sin, but jump down to verse 10. He shares the gospel and everything that Christ has done for us. And then in verse 10, he says, For you, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul's saying, you used to walk this way after the world, but now because of the gospel, you walk a different way. You walk in good works. And so Paul's returning to this analogy in Ephesians 4 to say, what does it now look like to walk in good works, to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Another verse that may be coming to mind is, is Romans 6, where Paul is talking about how you have been buried with Christ in his death, and you have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. It is this union that we have with Christ that we've been raised now and united, thank you, Teresa, to walk in this new life. It is the calling of the gospel that makes it possible for us to walk worthy and to walk in good works. But not only that, it's the calling that gives us motivation to walk worthily. I mean, just reflect on the good news of the gospel here with me from the first three chapters. If we were to go back and just do a quick overview, you would find this about your calling. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, 1-3. You have been chosen by God, 1-4. You have been adopted by God as a child of God. You are now a part of his family, Ephesians 1-5. You've received salvation, redemption, the forgiveness of your sins, Ephesians 1-7. You've obtained an inheritance, 1-11. You now have hope, whereas 2-12 says, you who had no hope, now in the gospel, you have hope. 112. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 113. You are now alive, raised, seated. And for all of eternity, you are positionally in Christ. And God is going to show the riches of his kindness towards us in Christ forever. You're a new creation. Creation. You have been recreated in Christ. 210. And you are now reconciled to God and a part of the body of Christ. 2.16, you now have access. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in view of all of that, what did you do to deserve that? Nothing, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift 
of God. It is not a result of work so that no one can boast. We don't stand here today. If you're new to this Christianity thing or you're here and exploring, we're not here because of how great we are. This isn't about us, which should just destroy any judging that we have. I had a conversation with a friend this past Friday. I mean, never heard the gospel before until I met with her on Friday. She's never been in a church. And she's like, if I show up, am I gonna be judged? I'm like, man, we're all here sinners who have received the grace of God. God is the one who judges. And so I was pleading with her, man, we don't stand here boasting in what we've done. We stand here pointing to Jesus and what he has done. And so to walk worthy of the calling is not as if, man, look at how great we are, God. It's to walk in a way that is consistent with the great and glorious God and what he's done for us in Christ. So if God has redeemed me, and if he has forgiven me, and if he has adopted me, and if he's chosen me, and he has raised and seated me, I want to walk in a manner consistent with that. And that's what Paul wanted them to get. So it is our calling that motivates us to walk worthy. Look in Ephesians 1.18. In Paul's prayer here, he's saying, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? In view of that hope of your calling, walk worthy. It is our calling that motivates us, and then it is our calling that gives us direction to walk worthy. I want to share a few parallel passages with you. The first we'll have on the screen here is 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, which says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And another one, 2 Timothy 1, 9, who saved us and called us to a holy Calling. Look, we are now children of God. We are a part of the household of God. And children imitate their father. And so I want to look to my heavenly father, and he's saying, be holy because I'm holy. And you're, not a, you're now a part of the family. You're a saint. You're a child of God. Now be like that. And it's not in order that God may accept me, it's because I've already been accepted. It's because I've already been justified, declared righteous. He's accepted me in Christ. And now I am becoming that in practice. So Ephesians 4.1 here serves as a header statement for the rest of Ephesians. In the rest of this book, Paul is going to amplify for us what is involved in walking worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You'll see in Ephesians 4.17. I'm just gonna give you a quick overview. In Ephesians 4.17, just flip there. He's gonna say, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. So he's gonna tell us, here's how you shouldn't walk and here's how you should walk. We go on, look at Ephesians 5, verse two. He's gonna say, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to, to God. Look at verse eight in chapter five. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children 
of light. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul is going to work through every aspect of life, from church life to home life to social life. And he is now going to say, in light of what God has done, here is how you are supposed to walk, to live, to conduct yourself as a follower of Christ. But I just want to step back for a second. I want us just to reflect on this imagery of walking. What can we grasp from just this, this picture? Paul is painting a picture that the Christian life is a walk. And, and I think there are two things that we can gather. The first one is this, is that walk conveys movement and progress. You guys follow me? Movement and progress. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm progressing. I'm moving towards a goal. And so in Paul's mind, believers never stop walking. This isn't a, hey, walk worthy of your calling on Sundays. Amen? This isn't walk worthy of your calling, you know, get it together before community group. This is, this is our life. You walk worthy of your calling on Mondays and on Sundays. When you're hanging out at nights, when nobody's looking, you're walking worthy. Because we don't do this walk to, be, to please others. We're doing it to please our Heavenly Father. Tanner earlier read from Colossians 1. He's praying that we would walk worthy and so be pleasing. Damn. That's too often, man, we, we get caught up in the Christian life trying to do something to please somebody else. And so I'm not pleading with you today to walk even to please me. I'm wanting you to look at all the great things God has done for you and walk to please him. So it's a continual movement and pro progress in the faith. Paul desires to see complete transformation, a transformation that will take time and it's a process. So let me encourage you. Don't walk away today discouraged. Don't stop walking. The reality is, is we're all at different places in the Christian faith. Man, for some of you, maybe this past week, you've just repented and believed. And, and this is like all, all brand new to you. you. You know what Paul has for you today? Just start walking. And for, for the person who has been a follower of Christ for 40 or 50 years, don't stop walking. Continue to walk. Don't be discouraged. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.1 on the screen here. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So I don't want you to, just, I'm not assuming here you're not walking. What I want to say is, man, if you're walking, Continue to do that more and more. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and walking towards maturity in Christ. And I think the other truth that we can get from just looking at this analogy, not only does walk convey progress and movement, walk conveys direction and a goal. We're not just walking aimlessly in the Christian life. Well, it's another Sunday. I'm just going to show up again. 
Well, it's time for community group. Uh, this is just what we do. No, there is direction, there is goal, and there is purpose. When it warms up, and babe, Lee, it is gonna warm up. Hang in there. We need some hope, and it's just right around the corner. We all want some warmth and to get rid of the snow. One of the things my wife loves doing is walking our kids to school. We live about three quarters of a mile from the Brook School. And so, I mean, it gives the kids an opportunity to get some energy out and to get outside, and she'll walk with some of her friends. Um, there is direction, there is goal, and there is a purpose. They head out the door, the end goal is the school, and then to return back home. What is your direction in the Christian life? I mean, is your, just be honest, man, as you're sitting here today, do you have any direction? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? When we walk, there's usually a purpose in the why, the when, the where, and how we walk. And for the Christian life, the walk begins when we respond to Jesus and repent and believe, but it doesn't end until we're glorified. And then we will walk with God forever and ever and ever, as we just sang about, for 10,000 years and for 10,000 reasons, we will bless the Lord. We sang a second ago, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. You want a picture of walking? It's this. When you come to Jesus, you repent. You turn from sin and the world, the world's behind you and you've got the cross and we are chasing after Jesus. We want to know Jesus. That is our goal. When we're going to see later in Ephesians chapter 4, go to verse 13. Paul's talking about these gifts that he's given to the church. And he says, they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've decided to follow Jesus, the world behind me. I'm headed on a trajectory to maturity. Jesus is my goal. The Christian life is a step-by-step, ongoing, and everyday process. As you are on this journey of the Christian life, you can look back, Lord willing, and see where you used to be, but also look forward to see where you want to be. Now, let me just give you some caution here. One of the things that deters us on our Christian life is as we've got the cross before us, the temptation is to turn back. The temptation is to take our eyes off of Jesus and to look at other people. Because you know what we love to do? I want to compare my walk with so-and-so's walk over here. Walk worthy of the calling and pursue Christ. And if you're doing that, you can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. You guys follow me? It's not, man, follow me. It's, man, we're all headed towards Christ. And so we're on this journey. And man, I, I want to help somebody. If I'm looking to the left or right, it's so that I can encourage somebody. Don't give up. Jesus is coming back. Let's keep walking. 
So maybe there's somebody you need to encourage today. Maybe, maybe for you today, it's just a walk away to feel like, you know what? I, man, I'm not giving up. Maybe you're ready today and, and you're just ready to give up. And you hear Paul saying, no, keep walking. One foot in front of the other and pursue Christ. Walk worthy of your calling. The second truth I want us to see here is that we should walk worthy of our calling by displaying unity. Walk worthy of your calling by displaying unity. Look at verses two and three in Ephesians four. I'm gonna read one again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I haven't made this explicit yet, but if you were to go back to verse one, when Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Who's he talking about there? He's not talking about you individually. He's addressing the church. You plural. You Ephesians. So I just want you to think, oftentimes I know we think of our Christianity in individualistic terms. But Paul is telling the church, corporately, together, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And it makes sense because he goes right into, in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let's just walk through these what he describes here. Walk with all humility and gentleness. The opposite of humility and gentleness is pride, selfish ambition, and conceit. We see this in Philippians 2. I've got it up here on the screen. Philippians 2, 3, Paul says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As you work, walk worthy of your calling, you're gonna realize that Christianity is not just about you. It's about what God is doing among the nations. And and God's primary task to see the nations worship him is the local church. And so God gathers us together that we are on this mission together. And Satan would want nothing greater than to fill a local church with people who are full of selfish ambition and conceit and pride. You know Do you know why Paul is challenging them to be united? Because if a church is divided, they'll never accomplish the task that God has for it. God has placed us here for a task, to make disciples, to multiply disciples to the ends of the earth. And so we should walk worthy of our calling and display unity with humility and gentleness so that we can be united. And if we're united, Watch out. But God could use a church united together on his purpose and his mission. I want to encourage you here, even as you think of evangelism, man, obviously humility and gentleness, we should be sharing that in our homes. We should be sharing that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul even talks about humility and gentleness as it relates to engaging outsiders. Look at one of these verses here, 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. Or look at this one, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. I want to share one short story with you. This past Friday night, Lee and I, thank you, Joel and Jen, hanging out with the kids. Got to do a little date night. It's been a while because of me being in India and my mother, grandmother passing away. Um, and we went to Tavern in the Square in Burlington. My former manager at P.F. Chang's works there. Lee just happened to run across him uh, a couple weeks ago in the Burlington Mall. And he said, look, why don't you guys come out and grab dinner? So we go up there. We made sure he was working Friday night. And we had dinner up there. And he stopped by, what, maybe three or four times as we're eating, and I share this, this isn't, I share this in, in humility, I'm not, this is the work and the grace of God in my life, but as an example, he was my boss. Oftentimes you have tough, you know, how do you share the gospel with your boss? Like there's some, some work kind of tensions and dynamics. I tried to live an exemplary life when I was at P.F. Chang's serving intense environments. Some of you have been in the restaurant business, you know it gets intense. People want their food and they want it now and they want it the right way. And when it doesn't happen, you know who like fingers are getting pointed. And so I'm trying to just man, live the fruit of the spirit. And so, man, he knew I was a believer. He's the one who hired me. When he hired me, he asked me this question. Hey, John, are you going to try to convert all of us? Because <laughs> he knew I was up here planting a church. And, uh, and so... I didn't say yes, I'm trying to convert all these. I mean, I, I'm a Christian. If somebody wants to know about my faith, uh, man, I'm gonna be eager to share the hope that I have in Christ. I'm gonna be eager and ready. And uh, I wanna walk those tensions with wisdom. Um, well, this past Friday night, he came by, and at one point he said, John, what do you do during the week? Um, most people just think pastors don't do anything during the week. Um, I don't know what you guys think we do, but we, we, we actually work really hard to honor and please God with the gifts he's given us. And I said, you know what? Mondays are usually meetings all day, but um, the rest of the week it's scattered between work, either in a coffee shop or at my house, or just meeting with people. Um, he's like, when you, when you meet with people, what do you do? I was like, well, sometimes it's, I'm meeting with people that I'm overseeing, that are doing ministry, and then I'm, we're, we're, um, I'm, making, I'm teaching them and training and coaching them, as other times it's, man, I'm meeting with people who want to learn about Jesus. So I said, this past Friday I met with a girl um, that comes from a Buddhist background, and just wanted to know about Jesus and Christianity. And I said, so I'm, I'm walking through her and I'm just sharing. And, and then he says this. He said, John, man, I'm not religious, but, but I got faith. Um, but man, it, I've always respected you. And I don't have anybody in my life that I can bounce off kind of some of these hard questions. Would, would you be open to grabbing a meal with me? And, and would you do that with me? Like, God is moving. Like, like, this, like this, is, this is the grace of God and how he's even working. This is, I haven't seen this guy in two and a half years. And by God's grace, he providentially lines us up. And I go to his place, and now he's begging me to come back now and just sit down with him and share the hope that I have in Christ. Now, who knows how God may use that? But that's an example of, man, as you display Christ-like character in your workplace and you pray and look for opportunities, God will use you and give you opportunities to share and, and work for his good pleasure. So we should walk with all humility and gentleness. We should walk with patience. Let me move on. We should persist in patience, even when the circumstances are difficult. Paul doesn't say, only be patient when it's easy to be patient. We're to be patient with one another. Uh, so, man, 
we're all at different places. So we even need to be patient in our walks. Some are farther along than others. Let's be patient. Let's be understanding. And let's pray and encourage one another. We should walk bearing with one another in love. The thrust here, I mean, love is central to the fellowship and community in the church. We're going to see this later on in Ephesians 4, that you're to speak the truth in love. We're going to see that the whole body, as it's connected and and working properly, grows as it's rooted and established in love. We already saw in Ephesians 5 too, he says, walk in love. And so we look to Christ and we see how Christ has loved us. And he says, you're to love one another in that very same way. And a part of loving is going to be forgiving. And so as you're walking in community and as you're seeking unity, is there somebody that you either need to seek forgiveness from or that you need to forgive? This is what characterizes unity because if, if forgiveness isn't happening, there's not gonna be unity. And a church isn't gonna be united to thrive on mission. And then we're to walk eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We see here that peace here is kind of like the fastener that keeps things together Look, we don't create peace. Do you notice that? It says here that we're to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Look, the Spirit and God creates the peace. We already saw that in Ephesians 2. Jesus is the one that brings peace. We are just to maintain that peace as we interact with one another. What Paul's describing here is just as we live and walk by the Spirit, you're going to see these qualities in ever-increasing measure interact and grow in your relationships with one another. So we should walk worthy of our calling. We should walk worthy of our calling by displaying unity. And then finally, we should walk worthy of our calling by confessing unity. Verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This section serves as the theological basis for why we should pursue unity. Because there is one God and one Lord and one hope and one faith and one baptism. You see the unity thrust here? Look at this and go pursue unity. This is what God is doing. How can a church not be unified when looking what God has done to bring unity? And so it's, this is why we should pursue unity, but it's also Paul's laying the groundwork for later on when he's gonna talk about all these different gifts. I mean, look around. The church is diverse. We're different. But the beauty of the gospel is how the gospel can unite young and old, different backgrounds, different gifts, all united together on the mission of God. And it is founded in what God has done here. And so there's one body. We see Christ has already tore down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. There's one body, the church. There's one spirit. Now we have access to the Father through one spirit. And this is the same for both Jews and Gentiles. There is one hope. We who had no hope now have hope in the gospel in Christ. There is one Lord, Lord Jesus, who stands at the very center of God's purposes. And God has placed him over everything. He is over all rule, over all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is reigning. It is the one Lord Jesus. It is the one faith. Paul's likely here referring to the body of teaching 
that Christians believe, namely the word of truth. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, in him, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you've got the one faith. We're believing in this word of truth, and it is also in faith that we come to know Jesus and have access through the Spirit to the one God and Father. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's debate over, is this referring to water baptism? Is this referring to spirit baptism when we believe? Or is this like Romans 6, referring to metaphorically to the baptism when we're united with Christ, with his death and with his resurrection? Um, But the point is, is, is that this picture here unites us and brings us together. And then there's one God and Father. And look what it says here. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This last affirmation is the climax of these series of affirmations. And you see the emphasis on the, on the Trinity here. You've got Father, Son, Spirit. Here we see that God is completely sovereign. He is over all. He is working through all. And God uses people to accomplish this, his purposes in the world. God is in all. And as I pause, I want to kind of do one little sidebar. As I told you guys last week, I was going to share a little bit about India. And I just want to pose this question. Is it arrogant to claim that there's one God? I mean, we just see this pretty clear here. There's one God, there's one Lord, and there is one Spirit. I want to share a story with you. I want to show you a picture here. It's the same picture that Jonathan shared with you from uh, uh, this is the same temple. Let me show you the first one here. Go back for a second here. This is at the very beginning of this temple. You see there's a bull here in front of this temple. And a lot of these temples, they would have a bull facing the temple. And you can barely see in the background there's a door where you would go inside into this temple and then go into the next one. This is the picture of this temple. You can see the eyes and the mouth. And they were pouring all kind of liquor right down the mouth there. They were probably catching it underneath and going and reselling it back. But, but we didn't see all of that stuff. And they're dropping money and they're dropping flowers. But as I saw this, Psalm 115 was just resonating. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And so it's not the fact that, man, we're being arrogant and that there's one God. Man, if you were there, you can look and just see, man, this is empty. I'm talking to people around the temple and say, okay, like, tell, where did this God come from? What do you know about him? And, and they're basically just saying, well, you know, it's this history of thousands of years old. And like, has this God ever done anything for you? Because they're all coming to these gods. And that picture of the bull there, I mean, there are people that are going to the ear of the bull, whispering their dreams and wishes. They're all coming to these idols to, man, their brokenness that they're experiencing. They want to have kids. So they're coming to the temple and they're saying, give us fertility or they, whatever they want. And so this image of them speaking in the ear of this God, and yet that, that idol has an ear, but it doesn't hear. I mean, it was just silver, it was gold, and their gods were doing nothing to respond to the request. Let me share another story with you. There's a picture of a Sikh temple. On one of our last nights there, 
we were on the ride back to the place we were staying. And you see that there's a bus there. They were just loading in all kinds of people. So we stopped there and I've got my phone out and I'm taking a picture. And one of their priests walks up to the door and says, why are you taking a picture? And so I'm a tourist. I'm just learning about um, what's going on here. Can you explain it to me? And so he goes on to talk about the Sikh temple and the Sikh religion. And then I say, well, well, let me share with you. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, do you know about Jesus? And we start sharing the gospel with him, how Jesus lived a perfect life, how he died on the cross. And I'm continuing. And I said, but he didn't stay on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I said, look, that doesn't happen. Like when, when you put people in the grave, they stay there. But Jesus rose from the dead. And as soon as I said that, he went, hmm. Did he not? Where's Jonathan? I think he's teaching. Man, if you were there, you would, like light bulbs went off of this guy. And somehow we got distracted in this conversation. And we, I brought it back a minute later because I saw his response. And I asked him point blank. I said, had anybody ever told you Jesus rose from the dead? He said, no. He said, all I knew was that he died on the cross. That's a game changer. Look, the, the reason that separates Christianity from everything is Jesus is alive. Now, I, I don't know everybody's faith background and, and where you are today, but the reason that I'm following Jesus, because he's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He is alive, and that changes everything. That gives me hope of eternal life. That life doesn't end in the grave. And get this, there are people who've never heard that Jesus is alive. And when you share the gospel, you can't stop at the cross. Yet it's on the cross where our sins were paid for, but if Jesus is still in the tomb, that doesn't mean anything. But this story of Emmasgill is not just in India. This same girl that I met on Friday, as I'm sharing the three circles with her, you guys have heard us talk about that. God's design, sin leads to brokenness, and then the third circle. What does the third circle say? What is it? Gospel. I get to the third circle, and I say, but the gospel. And you know what she says to me? Are you talking about music? She had never heard the gospel. I'm talking about a PhD, PhD student at Harvard. Never heard the gospel. And so I'm walking through and telling her what Jesus did and that he's alive and she's contemplating the claims of Christ. Guys, so what I'm telling you about India is also true. It would surprise you and shock you that if we just started sharing with people the gospel that you would find out people, a lot of people don't even know the gospel. A lot of people that were raised in church have never heard the gospel. And so is it arrogant? It's not arrogant and not, not prideful or boasting. It's Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, how can I not open my mouth and share with somebody the good news that they can have eternal life through faith in Jesus? The point in view of all God has done for us in Christ we should walk worthy of our calling by walking in unity. How's your walking? What is the next step that you need to take? 
today. If you're here and exploring Christianity, maybe the, the first step is realizing I can't walk and follow Christ until I repent and believe. Man, I would love for that step to be you today, to see Jesus is it, and I want Jesus. Man, come grab us afterwards. We want to hear that. Man, but maybe that's your step. Maybe it's a step of humility. Maybe it's a step of love. Maybe it's a step of patience. Maybe it's a step of you've got this list of people that you know don't have Jesus or don't know Jesus and aren't in a healthy church. And maybe it's a step of faith to say, God, I'm just going to pray this week that you would give me an opportunity to speak and proclaim the good news of Christ or to take a step to just invite somebody to worship with us on Easter. What is that step? Would you pray today, God, what step would you have me to take today? And would you pray that tomorrow? And would you pray that the next day? May we be a people that are walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. The redemption, the adoption, the justification, the forgiveness, the reconciliation. All grace, rich, overflowing, immeasurable. God, help us to walk today worthy of our calling. Would Boston and Greater Medford see a people who are walking with the cross before them, the world behind them? Increase our faith today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.